Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everybody, it's Zach here. It's been a challenging week, and you may have noticed we didn't release a new episode this Wednesday as usual, and that is for a very good reason. This is a time for listening and learning, and I've been trying to educate myself about the struggles black folks and people of color have been going through, often in silence for decades, and more truthfully, centuries. And while many of us have been stuck in our own fenced-in silos and cultural feedback loops for most of our lives, listening to the music that felt safe and familiar and hearing the voices and stories of people who look mostly like us, this is a week where we need to change that, to step back and try and understand how people of color have been experiencing the world and how we can make that world better. Look, my hope is that if we can really stop and finally listen truly to their songs and their stories, step into their shoes for even a few minutes or a few hours at a time, we can learn to be better helpers and allies and anti-racism action catalysts in creating a more connected and socially just society. Is this naive? Maybe. This is a podcast hosted by a white guy. But I've been lucky to talk to some truly amazing black artists, songwriters, and performers on this show. And if you have a moment this week, I ask you to go back into our archives and listen to these voices. There is so much to learn from a young, deep-voiced, rising folk blues artist like Sonny War, for example, who overcame a troubled past with drugs and homelessness right down the road from me in Venice Beach to create a series of critically acclaimed records that have brought her to festivals and tours around the country. Also, one of my favorite episodes that we ever did that got way less listens than it should have was with Bobby Rush, who came north from Mississippi in the Great Migration to play in the heyday of the Chicago blues and soul scene with Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf, and has never stopped making brashly funky and fearlessly sexy songs ever since, finally snagging his much-deserved first Grammy at the age of 86. This guy is so awesome and has so much history to tell us. I ask you also to listen to my friends, the Birds of Chicago, who are centered around the powerful chemistry between husband and wife duo J.T. Nero and Haitian-Canadian banjo clarinet playing dynamo Allison Russell, who gives every audience chills when she sings about her fallen ancestors. And while we're at it, why not listen to the double episode we did with the great African-American songster Dom Flemons, who came up in the renowned black string band Carolina Chocolate Drops and struck out on his own to become a sought-after ethnomusicologist and music historian whose newest Grammy-nominated record brings us back into a forgotten world of black cowboys who up until recently weren't recognized as being a driving force in settling the West. If you're like me, you might be feeling a bit lost right now, and it feels like we need something to believe in. 
We need a leader to guide us. And maybe there is no leader except ourselves. And I had this thought when I was kneeling with a bunch of protesters in Hollywood that I had forgotten how to pray or what possibly omnipotent force I was supposed to pray to. And if you believe maybe music can be your medicine, I suggest listening to Liz Weiss. She grew up in Oregon singing gospel music and making movies and accidentally found a blossoming career in music after her deeply felt, deliciously soulful and social justice forward records examining her faith and our ever-evolving relationship to a higher power struck a nerve nationwide. And I loved interviewing her in an old church in L.A. It just felt right. If there's one thing I learned from Liz that day, it's that questioning, that diving into the unknown deep within you is the most brave and holy thing you can do. It's okay to not know what to pray to. The point is that you're searching, trying to be better than you are. And finally, if you need a shot of pure, joyous energy and unabashed healing rock and roll spirit, let me implore you to listen to the episode we did featuring the war in Treaty, who showed us how music can be a healing tide to rise all broken ships, a tide that brought new power couple Tanya and Michael Trotter together against all odds after he came back from a trauma-filled tour of duty in Iraq and needed a way to re-enter society and share the songs that had been brimming in his heart for decades. I was lucky to have these guys on Dust Bowl Revival's Sway at Home Virtual Music Fest. Seeing the astonishment of folks watching War and Treaty for the first time online, it was something to watch, truly. And yes, Michael and Tanya have had the opportunity to open for Mumford & Sons in basketball arenas and wowed crowds at the Ryman Auditorium, but like most black-fronted bands in the fledgling Americana movement, they are often kept on the sidelines of mainstream culture. I want that to end. In the late 1960s and beyond, you saw bands like the Staple Stingers bring social justice into pop music. We can do that now, but we need people to actually listen. We need the powers that be, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, to actually lift these new voices to the top. Now more than ever, I want you to go to our archives and listen to these episodes, learn about these artists, and hear their stories. You can go to theshowontheroad.com slash episodes, or go to the Bluegrass Situation and find the podcast page. If you've been listening to this little show, thank you so much. We love you. And every episode usually ends with an on-the-spot acoustic number by the artist. And one of the most powerful songs that I've heard at the end of an episode was Liz Weiss doing a renewed vision of Woody Guthrie's classic, This Land is Your Land. Here's a bit of that now, accompanied by the wonderful Hannah Glover. This land is your land this land is my land From the Jamestown Landing To the Dakota Badlands From the Trails of Tears To the
I love that rendition so much. It's amazing how one song can seem to sum up a time and a feeling better than words or TV talking heads or pictures ever could. Many of us are asking ourselves, why are we here right now? Why is this time different? Over the last week, we've seen our country rise up in a powerful wave of protests and displays of civil disobedience since the shocking video-documented killing of George Floyd by members of the Minneapolis Police Department. By now, you've probably seen the clip in some form, which is now etched into our collective memory. A white police officer kneeling on a black neck as George Floyd pleads for his life. A knee on that neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while the other officers sworn to protect and serve their community watch impotently or even worse, help hold George Floyd down like he's an animal waiting to be euthanized. A beast bucking his handlers until he died, whimpering under their grip. This happened in the age of the internet, when these officers knew they were being watched and filmed, and for reasons we may never fully understand, they did it anyway. Think about it. This was all over a possibly counterfeit $20 bill. I'm curious, have you ever bought something with a bill that you thought was real but it wasn't? It's happened to me several times. I've deposited counterfeit bills that someone paid my band for a merch purchase. Heck, I've gotten cash from an airport ATM that has been proven fraudulent. It happens. But the difference is that for me, as a small statured bearded white dude, a different set of circumstances unfolded. I simply got a calm call from my bank saying, you know, this bill is fraudulent and we're going to have to replace it with another one. And the airport food court clerk did not call the cops on me. Instead, he said, sir, would you like to use a credit card instead? No cops were ever called. I could never be crushed to death for something that inconsequential. Have I been pulled over for a bad taillight? Yes, a few times. And I sure as hell wasn't screamed at, jailed, and then mysteriously killed like Sandra Bland. And yes, I've worn a hoodie on most days of my life when it gets cold out. I would never be shot down like Trayvon Martin. And then I had this flashback I couldn't shake. I was 17, and I had the cops called on me because I was trying to break into my own car and the alarm was going off outside my dark high school parking lot because my keyless entry had run out of battery. It was stupid, I know. I can still see it now, me in that hoodie from a college I was hoping to go to one day, seeing the cops roll up, flash their lights at me, and then me looking suspicious as hell in that dark lot with a car alarm screaming. And you know what they did? They calmly said, sir, is everything okay? And I calmly showed them that it was my car, and they said, okay, have a nice night. And that was it. I wasn't traumatized. In reality, I haven't thought of that moment in 15 years. But what if I wasn't me? What if I was black? Would I have been treated the same? I think we all know the answer to that. It's that type of double standard that goes on and on throughout the generations. Why we have to keep saying that black lives matter. And you know what? As I was looking at the names of the black men and boys taken out by police this last week, another flash hit me like a rocket to the brain. When I was a kid, I would often sit on my front porch in the suburbs of Chicago and shoot a full-sized cap gun at squirrels and at birds or whatever I saw passing by, pretending I was a pirate protecting my ship or a sniper in a James Bond movie. And even though my parents never talked about guns or would never think about owning a gun, I loved that gun. I loved the powder smell and the crack it made when I pulled the trigger and I would run around my yard shooting it and it was loud and it was heavy and it was real. At least it felt real. But you know what? I was never asked a single time why I was playing with that gun. I was never chased down and shot like Tamir Rice in a Cleveland City Park for playing with a toy that looked and felt real. 
And when I moved to California, I tried taking up a jogging regimen a few years back. I would never have thought I was in danger as I huffed and puffed pathetically through the leafy white neighborhoods of West L.A. like Amanda Arbery did in South Georgia before he was gunned down in the street. The fact is, it's taken this week of reckoning to see how much I've been given the benefit of the doubt my whole damn life and how I've been presumed innocent my whole damn life. And I have to say, I am not proud of admitting that until recently, I didn't even fully realize how privileged and lucky I was. And how did I end up here? I had supportive parents and grandparents giving me a great education, pushing me to live whatever pipe dream life I wanted to try and create for myself, like writing songs and playing on stages around the world and trying to share my favorite undiscovered music with others so they can be lifted up just as I was. And while I would normally be spending a weeknight editing and writing and recording the stories of artists that I love for this podcast, this week many of us had to face these uncomfortable truths for the first time. That while it is understood that my life matters, is inherently valued, the people of color all around me have never had that luxury. There has been countless times on Dust Bowl Revival's social media this week where we've had to say that Black Lives Matter has nothing to do with discounting other lives. It's simply saying that black and brown folks matter and also need to be heard and to be seen, to be given the benefit of the doubt and to be innocent before proven guilty. As complicated and broken as our country is, that presumption of innocence, of fairness, of the right to pursue your own happiness, to be special, to stand out and make something of yourself no matter where you came from or what you look like, or what religion you practice or how poor or sick you are, that's what makes our country unique and powerful. That hope, that great idea, that's the America I still see shining like a beacon under this shroud of darkness. The fact that our Constitution and the glorious freedoms that lay within it were written by slave owners says everything you need to know about how twisted and strange and naive our country still is centuries after its founding. Did Jefferson and Madison and the founders really even know how big their idea was? What if they came back and took a look around? We have to remember that freedom that they wrote about did not extend to women or people of color or the poor or the immigrant or the disabled. Why am I saying all this? Because I haven't done enough to push things forward. And I bet you haven't either. But we can all be the change. That's why I put on my mask and despite the risk of gathering with thousands of strangers during an unprecedented global pandemic, yeah, we kind of forgot about that, I joined a protest down on Hollywood Boulevard this Tuesday, walking over the faded street stars of Hank Williams and Duke Ellington and Judy Garland. And maybe peacefully protesting is another futile way to try and push the rock of justice up that ever-rising hill, but it was after a week of protest and civil disobedience following the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968 that the real teeth of the Civil Rights Act finally got passed. Protesting matters. Voting matters. I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you're staying safe and creative and vigilant. If you have a moment, give our episodes with Sonny War, Liz Weiss, Dom Flemons, Birds of Chicago, Bobby Rush, and the Warren Treaty a listen. Go to theshowontheroad.com slash episodes or check out the article on the bluegrass situation going up this week for more. A new episode with Dave Stewart of The Rhythmics will be coming out next Wednesday, and we will be announcing Suede Home Fest 3 for the last weekend of June very soon as well. And even though they are probably not listening, I send out a call of action to the music streaming giants like Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon. Start sharing underheard black artists and give money to organizations that allow black artists to thrive and prosper. We are all here making music because of them. 
So let's go out on a high note. Here's the healing tide by the war and treaty. One, two, three, and... Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, 
everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.